Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hey everyone, welcome back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Yeah, thanks for joining us for another episode. I think we've got a very extremely informative and educational episode on our hands today. We're being, <laughs> you just put so much pressure. No pressure, right? Kat. No pressure, no pressure. We're being joined by oh um, our animal excellence scientist, Kat Rizal, today. I'm really excited to hear about the projects you've got going on right now, what it really means to be an animal excellence scientist. I'm excited to learn about it. I always wonder when there's jobs like that. Did like how people? I didn't know that was a job that existed. Yeah, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think like most a people few do. Years ago. Yeah. yeah, so I always wonder how people get into that, and if that was always your plan. So, yeah. like always, we want to hear how you got to where you are, and you know the things you've done along the way. Anything exciting you want to share with us that weren't at the Cincinnati Zoo? We'd love to hear about that too. And then again, did you know this job existed, and how did, <laughs> how did you plan for it? Yeah, um, you know, I I definitely was drawn to it because of the word scientist, and I love the. Um, the pathway and kind of that progress for zoos going towards that we're going to be using science to address the the health and the behavior and how our animals are doing every day. So I I love that and I know that's becoming more of a thing. And um, at first it was a very small community and um, I love the fact that it's now growing and growing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I... I do, this is actually my first position uh, where I have scientists in my title, so that is definitely new for me, but um, I feel like we've been addressing and talking about this concept for a while, um, and now it's finally becoming more and more um, prominent in zoos, which I love. Um, Just more data-driven, making decisions based on evidence and and making uh, making sure our animals are doing well every day which is so um, important and like we care so much that our animals are doing well but there's no part of me that wants to like collect the data <laughs> and analyze it, especially the analyzing part so I'm glad there are so many different people with yes. different you know yeah interests and- yeah I love how uh, keepers you know you uh, you guys do like such amazing work, do uh, building relationships with their with your animals, um, all the husbandry, the training, the enrichment, and then yeah, then I almost call it like the back, like the behind the scenes side, right? Mm-hmm. All that data you collect, like where does it go? Does it get analyzed? Does it get reported? Because um, you guys collect records all the time on your animals and to know how they're doing. Um, but we want to see kind of how. Um, those trends and patterns happen over time and that's how I best describe like welfare okay um animal welfare animal excellence is what we call it is kind of how our animals are doing over a full context of time and what are those patterns are we seizing, seeing things like seasonally like for example like birds definitely have seasonal behaviors and patterns depending on um, like their mating strategies and things like that. Um, how do we address those animals during those stages of their life by looking at it more along a timeline rather than a day-to-day, which keepers do amazing stuff day-to-day. Um, and I feel like the science part also comes from analyzing that over time. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely did not start wanting to be a scientist. Okay. Um, but I love the aspect of like STEM and, and science just being in the process of of zoos and, mm-hmm. and how we make decisions. Um, I actually wanted to be a marine mammal keeper okay. uh, when I started. Um, and I can go into my backstory a little bit. Um, 
So I, um, I grew up in Canada and um, when I, I moved to the States, uh, particularly to Arizona when I was um, around 10 years old and um, naturally just going to the desert, I want to be a marine biologist. So <laughs> that <makes laughs> totally makes sense, right? The grass is always greener, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like there's no ocean and I just want to be near it. Um, so uh, it really was a trip to SeaWorld that really kind of solidified. That's so cool. You can work at a place and you can take care of animals. You can do that. Like honestly, I saw the girl on top of the like the killer whale like just like doing the show and I was like that's cool I want to do that cool um, job ever. <laughs> yeah yeah and when you're I was in sixth grade I think and during that time that was just like just such a different reality to me um and so I went to school I did as much animal courses as possible I still went to school in Arizona okay um <laughs> and I uh, went to the University of Arizona and um I did actually some keeper internships at local zoos. Oh, uh, awesome. uh, so Reed Park Zoo, um, and then uh, at Phoenix Zoo as well, and then the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum, which is a really great place. I, I just love how that place looks. Um, and then um, post-graduating, I did my first kind of out-of-state internship, um, and I, did, uh, I worked at... Um, the Point to Find Zoo and Aquarium, and that was my first kind of marine mammal mm. internship, and I was really excited to get that one. Um, so probably midway in my internship, I uh, found out that I was allergic to touching fish. What? Oh, no. Yeah. Are you for real? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I've heard I, of people like, allergic mm -hmm. to all sorts of things in this job, but I have never heard of fish. Yeah, so oh, in this field, like, it sounds scary, but they call it, like, you guys probably heard, they call it, like, fish handler's disease, is when you just are so exposed to it over and over and over again and then you just gain an allergy from oh it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I've heard other people in like training that have had that and things like that but um yeah I got it and also I ended up having I uh, so funny I mean it's funny to me now probably at the time it was. <laughs> I was about to say I yeah. imagine it was kind <laughs> yeah. of heartbreaking yeah, at the time. Yeah it was right? heartbreaking <laughs> um, so I'm kind of like just going over that part um, but uh it was I had like a fish sandwich like <laughs> like the day prior. Uh, we were doing fish prep in the morning, so I ate the fish sandwich. I felt a little weird, and then the next the next day I was doing fish prep, and my arms just like flared up in hives, um, and then even like some like fish juice like went on my face oh, and like no. flared up there too. And then I kind of like looked at like my supervisor and I was like, what is happening to me? And then she just explained it. Oh, she was like, no. I think you have fish handler's disease. So um, because of me not being able to do fish prep um, anymore. You couldn't wear gloves? Yeah, like... I wore like almost like a hazmat suit. Oh my like when I, when I had to do it, which they were really careful about it, but they also didn't want to put me in that situation yeah, all the time. Sure. Um, like it was me being like, I want to do it. I'll just wear the suit. It's fine. <laughs> And they're like, no, no, no. Um, my uh, supervisor was actually getting her master's degree. She was studying um, uh, kind of walrus reproduction. And we had walruses in um, at the zoo or at the aquarium. And she was studying their behavior. And she was also collecting samples from them. And that's my kind of my first start of you can do science at a mm. zoo. Oh, okay. That's really cool. Like it was a little, like a very applied, like we're collecting data and then she's applying it towards her degree. 
Um, and I was like, that's super cool. So even though, yes, it was a, a redirect <laughs> um, because of that, I actually found that to be another super uh, great interest of mine as well. Yeah, one door um, was able to open as yeah. one kind of shut, so it worked out well. Yeah, it worked out really well, actually. <laughs> like, very literal. Yeah, I know, and it's really funny because, like, I laugh about it and um, now, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's always a reaction I get. It's like, you didn't get to do what you dreamt of doing your whole life. And actually, no, I'm actually glad. Like, yeah. I'm glad to have had that opportunity. Yeah. I mean... Um, I think uh, having those keeper internships and doing that was such an amazing experience. And sometimes mm -hmm. I miss it for sure. Um, but now I kind of get to experience another part of that, which I, I really love. And um, I'm sure that's very valuable because as you mentioned earlier, you're kind of doing the analysis on the back end, but it's great to have an understanding of what's happening on the other side, which you clearly have. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to be able to know what the keepers see and what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Right, yeah. and I'm always learning. I'm always learning from, from animal care staff all the time. Um, I mean, especially since you guys are the ones that know the best about their, your animals. And we're really also not only utilizing uh, that kind of data, just watching your animals, but also your data and how the preferences, the, the motivations, the things that really drive your animals' um, behavior and, and their welfare. I think that's, it goes hand in hand. I like, mm -hmm. I like having those two things uh, work together. Um, and yeah, so I, I just decided to just go down that path and I, I did um, some, I, the next internship I did, I kind of, my, my parents like to say I like hopped around the U.S., um, <laughs> but I really did. I, um, after that, um, I went to Orlando, Florida. I worked at uh, Disney's uh, The Seas with Nemo and Friends, um, and I did a uh, aquatic research internship okay, um, cool. with them. Um, so that was about six months, and then I ended up staying on um, helping out um, at Animal Kingdom, just doing some, some data collection and research there. Um, and then I went to San Diego Zoo to help out with a cheetah and okapi project. It was mostly on behavior and collecting hormones um, uh, through their poop <laughs> and then um, and kind of correlating that uh, together to kind of show uh, any uh, hormones, any stress hormones we find in their poop, if that correlates with behavior. Okay. Um, and uh, that actually led to a really great uh, paper that came out probably a few years ago about um, that there is correlation between, you know, uh, behavioral diversity and uh, and uh, hormones found in in poop. So Which that's makes really sense, great. but it's yeah. really nice that you can prove that with yeah. science. Yeah. So that so it it's it was great to be a part of that, and I think that's another really good point. Um, that one of my favorite things about this is that um, if it feels like I'm part of something that could lead to some, to some, uh, some discovery, I guess you can say, mm -hmm. or some sort of um, effect or impact on, on any species or an individual even. So I, I do like that. Um, and then so um, I'm not done with my journey because I go around <laughs> everywhere really. But after San Diego, um, I went to uh, Brookfield Zoo in Chicago, and that was kind of my, my very first like full-time a research assistant job okay. working with an animal welfare department. Um, and then uh, I was there for about four-ish years. Um, and then after that, I went to Texas to uh, Corpus Christi um, at Texas State Aquarium 
to help out with uh, starting a, like uh, assessing welfare um, and behavior at an aquarium setting. Mm. Um, that was something just as a growth I just wanted to do for myself, but also I'm really interested in, in knowing about um, kind of those understudied, underrepresented species like fish and reptiles yeah. and um, invertebrates, um, fascinated with like octopus, like, and cuttlefish. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and how do you assess behavior and welfare of those animals? Yeah. I imagine it'd be so much harder in an aquarium with schools of fish or just like so many different species all together and moving through the water. It'd be harder to identify the smaller ones. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, I tried, uh, really hard to just also just increase my knowledge of just fish species just to be better at like, um, you know, IDing them, knowing what, who they are, but really, it's 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 almost just like a, like a mammal um, uh, kind of interspecies exhibit, like a okay. mixed exhibit. Mm, yeah. And in thinking about it that way, there's a lot of interactions that can happen yeah. in one kind of um, like body of water, right? And and you have like your scavengers, and you have your 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 sharks and your predators and things like that and it's really cool to see that kind of chain happen in that context um especially but, seeing how it would change over time That'd yeah be really cool yeah, yeah exactly um and uh yeah so it's just it that that was mostly for also i mean it was it was great to work in an aquarium setting um and it was great to help start up that program um and then when this job came up um, like I said, not only because it had science in the title, <laughs> but um, just of how renowned Cincinnati Zoo is as well. I mean, I've been following Fiona's story for forever. <laughs> uh, but, um, and I'm, uh, it, was, it was also mostly about um, the people as well. Um, I, I met David Orban uh, through uh, some conferences and uh, Christina Gorsuch and I, uh, the director of animal care, worked uh, together at Brookfield, and they're both also very data driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I respect their decisions and and all the things that they do for um, their fields, and um, to have them kind of at the helm of this <laughs> kind of program was also very exciting to me. Um, and then what even solidified even further was that during my interview, every single person that I asked, um, like, what's your favorite part about Cincinnati Zoo? And they all said the people. And I think that was a really strong, um, that was a really strong feeling for me and a really great vibe to have. And, um, uh, not saying I didn't have that before, but I think that helped, uh, yeah, me get this position. I... Um, I truly believe that, um, you know, animal welfare and animal excellence, animal science starts with the people that take care of them. Mm -hmm. And if the people who take care of them are happy, then that will transfer on. That's such a good point. Yeah. And good way to put it. You've, you've touched on the animal welfare and animal excellence, and that's, you know, a part of your title. And we talked to David a little bit about, because you kind of have, I think it's changed a little bit, but his job that he started with not too long ago here but for people who don't necessarily know a ton about animal welfare or excellence will you just explain a little bit more go into that and like kind of what your day-to-day job looks like just on the surface yeah yeah um 
Dave has made a ton of progress uh, when he was in this position, and I'm, and like you said, I'm in his former position. So um, it's kind of just continuing that progress that he's he's done. Um, but a lot of what I do um, is uh, like with welfare. Kind of how I explained earlier is that it's it's looking at those trends over time. We want to see not only day to day what our animals are doing, but also just kind of over time. Um, what are those patterns, what are those trends, how are animals doing? Um, and we really try to put in, um, kind of combine the forces of uh, keeper staff, knowing their animals really well, having assessments be done on their animals' preferences and, and things like that, and then also take some objective um, kind of uh, observations and understand behavior. Uh, behavior is, I mean, I always say this, but behavior is the best indicator to know how an animal is doing. I mean, that's that's the greatest thing. I mean, observing them, what they do, how they react to certain enrichment, how they react to situations. Those adaptations is kind of what we hope to measure over time. Um, so a lot of what I'm doing now is uh, trying to get a, a lot of behavior observations, um, like a, more of a program across the zoo. Um, Does that mean you're out in the park? Are you making these observations? Yeah. yeah, it's it's me and then a team of interns and volunteers. I'm trying to scale up right now. So <laughs> I, I just started, um, I think, less than a year ago, I would say. And um, uh, it's been great to have interns to help out with a lot of that stuff, mm, for sure. sure. Um, this is my first uh, kind of uh, session with two interns. So it's, it's definitely helped scale it up a bit. Um, the hope is that we have a behavior program that uh, observes all the animals at the at, at the zoo, and then um, that way we have kind of this uh, really large but very meaningful data set for every single animal. So it's something to compare to if an animal um, experiences a, a, a maybe a, a different experience. We have something to say. Well, this is how they were acting in this summer or this mm -hmm. winter months. And then let's see how that compares to how they're acting now. So like if, if they have, um, if they react differently to a new enrichment, it's like, oh, well, this is how they acted before. So it's something for us to be a little bit more, um, uh, it's just to add to what we already do already. It's just the great work that everybody does is to help add more information and to be more proactive and versus reactive. Okay, that makes um, sense. Yeah, and we're only doing observations. Um, not saying we, we do, but we're, we do observations when animal um, has, is in a state that we can't compare it to. Um, so that's hope, hopefully trying to quantify uh, like quantify a lot of the things that we're doing because uh, that is hard. Sometimes it's hard yeah. to quantify behavior. Um, there's so many things that animals can do. I'm learning all the time. Um, it's not a, it's not static at all. Like animals are doing <laughs> so many different things. Um, so we're always learning. We're always trying to keep up with, um, you know, their behaviors. Any any other publications, literature that come out and adding to their repertoire. Um, so that's one part is, is kind of scaling up the behavior program. And then the other part is also um, helping us do regular welfare assessments or animal welfare assessments uh, throughout the year. Um, David did have a program when he was in my position and that's uh, and a lot of what I'm doing now is trying to get that back on, on track. 
um, and animal welfare assessments again is uh, are the things that um, definitely the animal care staff do a lot of help and work in um, is to really understand like uh, based on looking at the the opportunities for animals to thrive which in their health and their behavior and their choice and control um, in their uh, nutrition like looking at all those categories and then asking the keepers what has changed since the last assessment mm. and those changes can really help us understand um, an animal more so the combination of the behavior um, observations and the welfare assessments can help us give an overall like more comprehensive look at each individual animal so that's what i'm hoping to do Awesome. So that's obviously like a massive undertaking. (laughs) This zoo is massive. There's tons and tons of animals here. You've only got so much manpower. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of decide where your resources go? You obviously, it would be amazing if we had volunteers or interns or paid staff to look and observe every animal in our zoo, but that's not super realistic at the moment. How do you kind of choose where your resources go? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. (laughs) Um, And it's something I think about all the time. You know, um, we... We, right now, um, currently, while trying to scale it up, uh, actually have some experience in doing this in at Brookfield Zoo. Um, we did, uh, we tried to um, observe all the carnivores at the zoo. And, and, and that undertaking alone was about over 70 uh, species and over about 90-something animals within wow. those species. <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty crazy. Um, but uh, it's it's about kind of it's about counterbalancing a lot of that. Like we we in order to have that information, you want to make sure that we're not just watching one species at one part of their day. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we have to consider. I mean, um, I truly believe, like you know, with nocturnal animals, we really should be watching them. 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. um that's definitely part of their life and and i think we do a really good job here at the zoo and um and uh just understanding that we don't just look at a zoo day right we we try to understand animals behavior and welfare throughout their lifetime which could include night if they're nocturnal um overnight for social um, interactions and things like that um so it's 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 kind of a lot of scheduling, <laughs> but it's um, we kind of break it up into time blocks so that we can uh, absorb a lot of those different parts of the day, so that an, an animal or a species isn't watched every. Uh, every time at the same time. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Sometimes you would think you would want to do it the same time every day to see if there's like you know a behavioral change in that, but it also totally makes sense that you actually, for their whole being, want to see mm-hmm. right all all of yeah. the day. Right. So it's a lot of scheduling, and we do um, we there's a great program uh, called Zoo Monitor that um, is made specifically uh, just to collect behavioral data. And that is becoming more and more popular with, with zoos and aquariums. So that uh, program is an application. It goes on a tablet, and um, it it collects behavioral data really easily. It's like an it ethogram, also, right? Yeah, yeah. And then it also allows us to do um, like space use maps to understand how an, an animal utilizes its space. So it gives us a lot of information. And what's great is because it started from Lincoln Park Zoo, they understand it's in a zoo environment, so they, they know kind of how um, data collection should take place. Um, so using an application that helps us along with the scheduling, 
Um, and yeah, all you really need is the manpower, right? So um, uh, I know that there are some institutions that uh, I think I'm, I'm going to call it Lincoln Park Zoo again because they, I'm pretty sure they're one of the first ones to have done this, is that they created almost like a volunteer um, group that goes out and this is all they do. They collect behavioral oh, wow. data of animals. Yeah. So, and what I like to say with all of that is that um, for me, you know, being the person that deals with all that data, like it's fantastic to see all that data going in, but oh, then you have to interpret it. Right. Yeah. Who's going to be the one taking it out? I so never thought yeah. of that. Like, yeah, <laughs> let's get you some volunteers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure we can find the people. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, so I'll, I'm already trying to work out that process of, you know, how do we get people starting to collect behavioral data really quickly and, um, but efficiently and obviously very meaningful. So we, um, uh, I'm trying to come up with a, uh, more of a reliability, uh, a kind of, uh, behavior testing where, um, instead of, just to make sure that everyone's collecting the same kind of meaningful and valid data, we need to make sure we're all on the same page about how, what the animal is, is that lion really sleeping or is it actually like doing something else? Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And things like that. Um, so, uh, my interns, my current interns and I have been collecting, um, videos, um, and we've been monitoring, um, a lot of the animals. And then we're basically using this video as almost like watch these videos and, when, if you score them reliably, then you can go ahead and and um, and and watch and use Zoom monitor. Oh, no. oh, so it's like a practice. It's like a practice, it's a practice. Okay. exactly. Yeah. yeah, because we can also we it's also we can um, like I'm going to use the lions again as an example. Um, you know, lions don't usually show their entire behavioral repertoire throughout the day, right? Like they're mostly mm-hmm. sleeping. Mm-hmm. That's what lions do. But we also want to want people to know that if an if a lion is interacting with enrichment, like what does that look like? Or what does it look like when um, like John is playing with Imani? Mm-hmm. Like what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to collect those behaviors so that way, um, uh, so if you see it, then you can score it correctly and then and things like that. But if we did live reli- reliability, then you just go out and blind sleeping and you know, you can't really count for all of those behaviors to be seen all yeah. at once. Yeah. So, um, we're trying to kind of do that so that way when we do bring people on board to collect that behavior, um, it kind of goes in that kind of process of, of that. So, yeah. That, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's a lot of work to create like a tutorial for every species <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, you want to monitor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the goal is we're going to start with like taxa. We're going to start okay. with each taxa and then we're going to pare it down. Um, um, you know, we are uh, looking at, you know, just... Um, the Africa team and, and you guys and, and how and all the animals you guys have a very diverse group of animals mm-hmm. um, you know for example hippos will probably need their own meerkats will probably need their own but we could probably group the hoofstock together yeah. right so so that's something that we're looking into and things like that and then even though we might create a ethogram for for a lion that could technically apply to the other Felid species. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So so that's kind of what we're looking at. So hopefully it's not creating. I don't know how many animals we have here. Like, I don't know. Five hundred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Five hundred tutorial yeah. videos. Yeah. But um, but it's actually a really fun part. Um, I love making videos. Do and you? I love, yeah. Okay. And I love adding that kind of t- 
technology level. That's another great interest of mine. Um, oh man, can you help so, me out? Yeah. Oh, same, <laughs> yeah. same. Mark and I are not technologically fun. <laughs> I mean, it's it's more like having that application of Zoom Monitor that like really nerds me out, and then um, and then yeah, all the programs. I mean, David, I know he. He loves Excel. If he could like wear like, <laughs> something that says "I love Excel," he would. Um, That's so funny that you mentioned <laughs> Zoom Monitor. So Zoom Monitor here kind of got started when I was an intern, mm-hmm. and I remember being an intern collecting some of this data. And one of the keepers who had a decent amount of years on me just handed me the iPad and said, "Surely you know how to work this." Oh <laughs> I looked at him and I was like, "I don't know what I'm doing. You're gonna have to walk me through step by step with yeah, this." Yeah. <laughs> like tutorial for that like there's yeah a lot of a lot of that stuff you can't just hand off but um they're yeah. just trying to hand off the ipad to mark you know. no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's what i'm saying yeah. i couldn't even figure the ipad out let alone the app i was toast <laughs> yeah no it's so it, it hopefully helps out like trying to incorporate yeah just more technology more advancement um towards that like it it kind of helps me out to um like i'm i'm trying to be to do the science and and things like that but i'm also trying to add different parts of stem into my Mm -hmm. into my job so i'm trying to also learn more about tech um i'm not an expert but i'm trying really hard to if there is something out there can can we find it can we incorporate it into our our day-to-day. I'm sure a lot of people don't realize there's so much going on behind the scenes at zoos that we're doing to try and make animals lives better or make sure that you know we're doing the best we can for them. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific project that you can think of that maybe an animal wasn't doing so great for whatever reason and these you know assessments and observations helped and we were able to make a change or any that you're currently working on? Yeah um one that really comes to mind just because it was um uh it, it was something like at the aquarium and that was something that uh you know the the management staff really wanted they're like we want something that shows that even though a lot of it already was helping um but prior to that you know they were doing records and things like that but the welfare assessments were helping um the keeper staff have discussions a lot more about their animals and and I think that's that's truly a lot of what you guys do already mm-hmm. and I think that's that's very helpful it's kind of just quantifying those discussions now and putting them onto a database um, and the first one that comes to my mind really is uh, at Texas State Aquarium um, we had a, uh, a sandbar shark um, uh, and she was in her exhibit and she was performing some type of stereotypic kind of repetitive behavior, um, just kind of doing circles. Um, and it was kind of causing her to um, uh, run into some things, like she was getting abrasions on her rostrum. Okay. And, and it was, and so we were noting every time she had those abrasions. Mm. Um, so we were doing behavioral assessments on her, and then the welfare assessments were capturing the discussions between the keeper staff, like what's changing in her environment, like what are what's going on? Is it the temperature? Is it the pH? Especially for aquatic animals, that's very important. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of variables that actually happened. So what was nice about the assessment is that we got to track all of those. Um, the temperature changed, the salinity changed as well as, uh, in the environment. Uh, introduced a couple more fish species mm-hmm. in the in the exhibit, and then um, there was a, 
um, an extra kind of uh, environmental change that happened. Uh, they started adding um, kind of like dive programs into the oh, okay. into the into the exhibit, and they added kind of like a little barrier. What was nice is that um, you know it was um, it, it greatly reduced it, and she never. Uh, stopped doing that behavior, but it greatly reduced it on when understanding that when that barrier was up in comparing it to her previous, before that barrier, her previous behavior, showing that it was actually jutting into her, her swim pattern. Mm. And sharks naturally kind of do that circular perimeter swim, but because that barrier came up, it was kind of interrupting that mm. pattern. So she was starting to run into things okay. because it was just out of her regular pattern as what we were assuming. So, um, and so the really quick fix to that was that, hey, can we just drop that barrier when there's no diet yeah. program? Mm. Like, you know, and, and then when there is a dive program, we can just, just put it up, but then just keep it down just for her. And that's really also looking at, there were six other sandbar sharks in there. And it was really nice that we were looking at her individually as, mm -hmm. as you know, as not just part of a group, but she is an individual in that group of animals. So um, it was nice to see that. Um, I think another thing too, um, at Brookfield, uh, I did a, uh, a a project, kind of a first a, a, a local project and then a multi-institutional project on giraffes and our, our articulated giraffes there. And um, it was studying kind of their space use and also uh, the differences of behavior and welfare between, because um, we were in Chicago, so behaviors, and you guys know this too, of them being indoors in the winter mm -hmm. and then versus their um, outdoor summer exhibits, uh, very different, right? There's a lot of differences between those two exhibits. Um, and what we learned a lot of was that, um, you know, our, the giraffes at Brookfield, they did, um, ruminate and they, um, were more recumbent cause we actually attached these giraffe Fitbits as we called it to, to their, cool. to their ankles. That's awesome. Yeah. To kind of monitor their space use and how much they were lying down and standing up in, in their exhibit. And, um, I found out that they were more, uh, recumbent, but what was also really interesting cause in the local study, there was four giraffes and each one of those giraffes were very different. And mm. what really struck us was that just the, the stark, like, just personality and individuality of those four giraffes. Um, and they, and like, two of them were related to each other, two of them were unrelated. So it just was really cool to see that um, post that project, not like the uh, animal care staff was doing it before, but post that, that kind of also solidified, wow, these guys are really different. Yeah. We probably should, um, you know, do different enrichment strategies for each one because now that, that, Un, that helped us understand, well, this animal really doesn't like this, like this type of enrichment, but this one does. So maybe we can try to do different things to help, to help each one. Um, those are my favorites. I think mm -hmm. it's because I spend so much time with those animals that helps me not only know those animals more, but, um, just seeing those personalities come out. That's always the best. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yes. This one would do this, but there's no way that one's going to do that, you know. <laughs> but that's yeah. awesome that you guys are able to actually put data and quantify it because we anecdotally as keepers, 
we watch our giraffe, and I can tell you based on watching them and our observations <laughs> that, yeah, every one of them is very different. We see them interact with the space and interact with the enrichment uniquely, but I don't have any data to back that mm -hmm. up. I can't yeah. say that I know this for certain, yeah. but it's really interesting to be able to put the data behind it and say, now yeah. we can show that that really is a fact. Like, right. But I'm super interested. So obviously you say these are kind of tracking the trends over time. Mm -hmm. How much time does it take to really get your data back and be able to interpret it? Like how much, I guess it's going to vary for each project. Yeah, much, each yeah. project and each individual. But how much time do you spend collecting data before you start to analyze it? Uh, that's a good question. So I think it, it almost varies with the type of questions you ask, like the research questions you ask with, with each project. Um, kind of going through that with my interns right now. Um, so we always have a, a behavior uh, intern project that they do. And um, uh, they already are here only for a short amount of time. You know, they, mm -hmm. they're here for about three-ish months. So what helps um, for us is that... Uh, I tell them, I kind of try to go through the entire research process with them uh, from beginning to end um, in their three months. And so within their three months, I set apart about a month of that data collection. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, and I also tell them to try to limit it to maybe one very specific research question that that month could tell us. But that I think varies a lot with differences. And if you're looking at, um, you know, if we like, I use birds a lot as an example. Like, um, for birds, it would have to be a crossover about a year because so you, you have to incorporate all the seasons, okay. right? Sure. Um, and then for specific animals, that yeah, like, um, uh, I always said that octopus and, and those kind of species, cephalopods, are my favorite because you could literally get their whole lifespan, like their whole oh, lifetime, yeah. right? Because they, they only live long. for maybe a couple of years um, at the most. Like cuttlefish only live to be about less than a year. Oh. And then octopus are about uh, two to five, I think is the, the, their life expectancy. Um, so, I mean, I joke about it, but it's true. Like, like that's, yeah. their, that's unfortunately yeah. how long they live. So um, we can get all of that. Um, I'm talking with the insect team right now and we're trying to go through just generations okay. of each kind of, or this, each stage of, like, how do you assess the welfare of an insect? Well, we kind of have to go through either generations of, of insects or um, uh, kind of the stages. Like, you want to go from the larva to the pupa to the mm -hmm. adult stage, right? You want to know all of those. Because um, welfare is going to vary based on oh, the stage yeah. of its life, yeah. Right, and, and it's hard to establish a baseline as well, so that's also something to bring up that um those change you know animals can i mean as they get older you know there's there's uh we have quality of life assessments which are essentially a, another welfare assessment but it's just assessing a different stage of the animal's life mm. um and uh so i'm not really answering your question very well sorry but it varies yeah it's it's kind of hard because um because really there's no there's no um Unless someone can prove me wrong out there, but really there's no uh, uh, kind of standard of like, you need mm -hmm. to collect this much data for this. Um, when uh, David and Christina and the elephant care team started um, the Elephant Welfare Initiative, that's kind of the program that um, we currently use to collect information of all of our, of all our elephants, um, their, their standard was about 10 hours of behavioral data. Um, per elephant. So um, that 
that accounts for each elephant being um, monitored for at least 20 minutes a day for a month. So, um, so that's something that they just that 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 program specifically wanted. But there was really nothing that said this like elephants need to be like you know measured this time. Mm-hmm. I think it just depends on the animal's life history. I would say and kind of the questions you're asking for for each animal. Um, like that giraffe study, since it was for indoor and outdoor exhibits, uh, we, we looked at it across um, uh, over about two years, actually. Wow. So just so that we had two summers and two winters to kind of look at. So yeah. yeah, I think I've mentioned this in some of our other episodes with the crew scientists. It would just be so hard for me to be collecting and collecting and then analyzing and <laughs> waiting and waiting for that answer. Like, yeah. I, I yeah. would have the hardest time just... Like sticking with it, I want the answers now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that would be tough for me. Yeah, and I think that's that's why I hope with the behavior program that I'm trying to build and scale up is that that you would be able to see that real time data, hopefully as we're collecting it. Um, um, but welfare is one of those things that will like you need to collect all those categories and all those inputs and outputs over over an, a, a probably good amount of time. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's not a very scientific term, saying good amount, but, <laughs> but it's technically, yeah. Yeah, um, sometimes you have to do what you can with the time you have yeah, or the people yeah. you have or the resources. Sure. And... Yeah, and I'm also the same. I'm very impatient, so I... Uh, like I'm like I want to know like how this animal's doing like you know but I have to collect for another season like you know so yeah yeah I I totally get it (laughs) something that you just quickly touched on earlier that I wanted to ask you about um I know it's become and more of an area of focus in the zoo field in general but especially on our team I feel like we find ourselves talking about it a lot lately is choice and control Mm -hmm. can you talk just a little bit about what instituting choice and control means for an animal and how that might affect an animal's day or life Yeah, so choice and control um, also has been coined um, in the animal welfare community as one of the opportunities for, to to thrive, opportunities for animals to thrive. And thrive is kind of one of those also terms that um, we want our animals to to experience not only just good welfare, but thriving welfare Mm -hmm. where they're, they're experiencing new things, they're, they're, they're being resilient, they're becoming uh, they they have those opportunities, and that's really what choice really means for um, for me. And I think in regards to welfare, is is providing animals those opportunities uh, to experience new things, and, and not only just new things, but maybe different experiences, um, uh, things that could help them engage in more um, species specific behaviors. Um, and to to really show um, the uh, kind of what their behavioral repertoire is and mm-hmm. and, and their life and what's in their species history, um, I think what's really interesting about choice and control is that um, it's because it has been it's part of the opportunities. There's five opportunities to thrive and and, and to really quantify it, pare it down for animal welfare. They come they, we've come up with five opportunities for animals to thrive, and that's just one component. Um, It's kind of that mental, effective state for an animal. Um, Choice for how many opportunities they have throughout their day, which could include enrichment, but also uh, control over those opportunities. um, And that part is really interesting to me because 
it's it's been a really hot topic with ambassador animals mm. and and how are we asking permission? Are we are we establishing that control over those animals who actually go out and and basically do outreach and, and jobs mm -hmm. and, and you know provide that educational aspect for animals? But um, a lot of institutions now are now providing that choice of control by asking the, those animals for really just permission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And I think a lot of keepers here and, and across zoos as well, they really establish that into their husbandry and their training is we ask our animals if they want to do it or not. And if they don't do it, then they don't want to do it. And the way yeah. for anyone who might not be understanding, like, they can't talk back, but we will. <laughs> we could present a crate. And if they want to go do the program, they will, like, choose to go into the crate yeah. or yeah. hop on your hand if it's a bird that can fly you know like it's their choice whether or not they actually move yeah. <laughs> i guess yeah, where yeah. You need them and you to. can get a read on their behavior yeah, and you can tell sure. if they're not in the mood one day and you skip that day yeah right and now. like other options that we do for animals in general for choices you know do they we give them straw bed they have the regular floor they have you know their outdoor yeah. grass and you know, it's interesting to see if the hippos choose, if they have access, if they want to sleep in the pool and there's heated floors with their yeah, stalls or yeah. in the sand. And yeah, just different choices like that. I think it's interesting to me now having a child and I read, <laughs> I read all of this stuff like, you know, toddlers can't communicate very well. So it's almost like keepers and animals. You have to yeah, learn it yeah, to exactly. communicate without speaking the same language. And you can imagine if your child in their head is just thinking, I want the blue cup today. You know, you just give them a choice. Do you yeah. want the green or the blue? Do you want this or that? Because it's just like us if we had a boss that told us what to do all day long. Yeah. It would oh, be really, course. you would hate your job. Yeah. It would be really infuriating. And yeah. you're just like, why don't I have a choice in what I'm doing right now? So I think it's important that and it's something that we are doing, you know, but yeah. we're always thinking, like, does this animal, it's 100 degrees out, would I want to be outside? No. So we'll let them choose. Do they want to be outside right. or inside? Some animals would choose. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I love but, seeing examples like that all across the zoo. Like, just having, even just a, having a multi-species uh, exhibit, like the African savanna. Like, they can choose to interact with each other or not. Mm -hmm. I think the mixed like, species are the best. Like, yeah. we see so many yeah. interactions, yeah. and they are things that could happen naturally in the wild and would happen, you know? Yeah. Like, vultures coming across, you know, a hoof stock or antelope of yeah. some sort. I, I think one of my favorite... Um, uh, I had a, uh, like, talking about those reliability videos, since we're out just taking videos of animals, one of my favorite videos is that in the corner, you could kind of see all of these animals just doing what they want, which is Hobbs, or, or Kudu, he's just sitting on his own because he's fine. He doesn't need to interact with anybody. <laughs> he likes so his me fun. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a very, yeah, he's, I, he's. He's very adorable. I love him. He is. Um, and, uh, and I'm not just saying that because you guys are here. But, uh, but he's, he's really No, great. we believe you. Yeah, yeah. If it was another animal, I might be like, she's just saying that. Yeah, Hobbs, right? Yeah. No, everyone who meets Hobbs knows he's adorable. Yeah, he's adorable. And um, there's, uh, in the video, we're kind of focusing in on an impala. And then um, all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, just... One of the ostriches just comes in I and another Paula just leaves. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like one of my favorite videos. I'm like, that's just a great interaction of the Paula was like, nope, left. And the ostrich was like, I'm just going to choose violence today. Like or something. <laughs> like, or something. Not really, but you know what I mean. Um, so it was it was really cool to just see all those interactions. And I think um, Icky, our salable stork, was also just by herself in that video. So it was just really cool to see. Um, 
I also love how you apply it also at home and yeah. at work. That's like one of my to, favorite yeah. things. Zookeeper Jenna yeah. has become mom Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of work out pretty well yeah. in so many ways. To all I'm life. watching these behaviors like, you know, is this normal spit up or is that, you know, yeah. not anymore. Not anymore. Little. After yeah. reading behavior without being able to communicate. Once Lincoln can talk, it's going to be a piece of cake, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so much easier. Yeah. I think that's why it's so people struggle so much with toddlers, and they yeah. throw tantrums because they're trying very hard to tell you what they want. Yeah. And, and I just don't know how. Yeah, my, um, uh, I was just came from a trip with my sister, and she has uh, two daughters. And, um, I love them to death, and uh, her her little one is about almost two, and and she said almost the exact same thing. She's like, you understand, right? Like, she can't explain it. And I just have to, like, try to figure it exactly, out, right? Yeah. And, like, and she's, like, kind of throwing a tantrum. And she's like, I just, I, I just, she can't express her emotions the way that she wants. So I have to try to figure it out. And, exactly. And I love that she was, like, trying to explain to me, like, scientifically, like, this is what <laughs> yes. it is, right? So, like, you have to figure that out. And, and yeah, and she's a scientist too, so she kind of like figured oh, that. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so it's kind I of think nice. It's, that's the coolest part is trying to like learn about animals and and try mm-hmm. and figure out what they're telling us yeah. when they have needs and and hopefully giving them what they need. Yeah, yeah. and I think applying like you know choice and control, providing those opportunities really help us um, really understand what an animal loves and what it mm-hmm. doesn't and. And, and yeah, it could be substrate, it could be in, enrichment, it could be um, a new, like a novel thing. And, and that's why it's really important to evaluate those things. And I think that's where, um, you know, those things for, for all the science that kind of come in and, and show us, well, last time this animal saw the big blue ball and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So I should probably not, maybe we could try a green ball, like, you know, and stuff like that. So I just, I love that. Yeah. yeah, we definitely see all sorts of things like that. Like, Tucker mm-hmm. does not like things hanging. The girls love hanging. Yeah. <laughs> or it's very interesting to me, like, seasonally we'll see that the hippos spend most of the winter. They could sleep in any pool they want, and they choose the floor. And I, I assume, I don't know, but I assume it's because it's heated. Yeah, yeah. And the water's yeah. not super warm, so they're yeah. going to choose the comfort of the heat in yeah. the winter. And then as summer months come, you see them sleeping in the pools overnight way more than... Yeah. In the stalls, so like with giraffes, like um, just again with the whole individuality, it's just we provide them so many feeders. But at Brookfield, there was two that really liked this specific feeder, mm-hmm. and it could have been where it was at, or it could have been the color of it. It could have been <laughs> I don't no idea. Right. They just always went towards that one, and it was just so funny to see that. So it's nice, even though we provide a lot of choice and a lot of opportunity. Um, that maybe animals always choose the same thing. Yeah. So I, I love that too. Yeah. It's just like me. I always sit at the same seat on the same spot on the couch. Yeah. Every night. <laughs> yeah. I sit exactly. Creatures of habit. Yeah, exactly. <gasps> Is there really... anything else we haven't touched on that you want to talk about before we do trivia? Oh, um, well, I don't want to, uh, like postpone trivia. I mean, I love trivia. <laughs> um, so, no, um, something comes to mind, tell us. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really, I honestly, I feel, um, really honored to just like, yeah, just be here to talk to you guys. Oh, um, and yeah. And, um, it's, it's just so great to see like Cincinnati zoo kind of go towards this, um, kind of this progress and mm-hmm. I, I just hope to continue it um 
it's, I think, being data-driven and being um, kind of uh, more of this evidence-based kind of uh, institution um, is just, it's so great. Also, um, I think, like, David and I touch upon this all the time, but there's never a shortage of of projects or, mm-hmm. or questions or things to ask, and everyone's so inquisitive and I think we're always trying to make sure to improve our animals lives all the time. And you can clearly see that with our staff for sure. And I'm truly impressed. Um, and not saying I didn't have that before, but I think, um, just, um, ever since I, I, I mean, like I said, I started about a year ago and ever since then, um, I am just, up to here, like, I'm pointing, you can't see me, I'm pointing, <laughs> pointing to the top of my head, but, like, uh, <laughs> um, uh, just with projects, and I'm so excited about it. Um, just a lot of questions about animals that could be really short-term things, um, like watching mobility of animals as they get older. Um, I think that's a really good example. I mean, we, we just made some exhibit modifications for a gray fox, because uh, after watching um, her mobility and, and as she got older and how she moved around her exhibit. So mm. yeah, that's, that's a great example. Yeah, that's a great example. We used the, kind of those observations and, um, and seeing that she wasn't getting to certain parts of her exhibit. So we made a lot of uh, those areas more accessible for her. Perfect. Yeah, which is great. So that's mm-hmm. another really good example and something that... Um, yeah, it just happened recently, and it's just one of those really great questions and projects that just came up from from animal care staff, really. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And we're lucky to have someone with your talents and skills to be able to analyze that and help us interpret our information that we're gathering, because we can't always interpret it. Sometimes, like, I feel like as keepers, we tend to get kind of caught up in, like, the day-to-day. It's a little bit hard for us to see the bigger picture sometimes and to see the long-term we definitely need help with that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I love the collaboration, and I love the, and and, and I, I think that's where you guys are so great at, at also assisting, and I think the, it's not just me. I have a team of people, and I have you guys, and I have, like, the entire staff just really working together, and um, that collaboration piece is really important. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't really analyze um, truly how an animal is doing unless I, I hear the input from animal keeper staff, also our nutritionists, the vets. So I think that kind of collaboration is, is truly needed to understand how our animals are doing. So, so yeah. So I, I, I can't take all that credit <laughs> for sure. There's a lot that goes yeah. into it. We appreciate what you're doing yeah. for sure. Yeah. No, I, and I do love it. Um, I'm really nerdy and I really, like just, just like David, like we're both very much nerds about data. And I, I joke all the time, even though it's not really a joke, but I, um, in, in college I used to... Um, do a lot of pipetting, like just into, I worked in a lab for a very short time and I pipetted just like the same amount into like these little <laughs> tubes. And I did that for like hours and I was like, this is cool. I actually really like it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really okay with doing the same thing over and over, which oh, I'm really weird you. about. I'm um, so I'm kind of like almost, uh, I kind of found my niche of Perfect. just like doing, dealing with a lot of data. It super excites me. So yeah. <laughs> super nerd but yeah at the zoo we're all nerds in our own way yes. too, that's for sure <laughs> definitely yes yeah. 
man. Well, are you guys up for some trivia? Yes. Let's do it. I do have some for you guys. I've got three <laughs> questions for you today. Question number one. Some of the earliest known animal welfare and protection laws were enacted in the 13th century by this ruler. Oh, jeez, Mark. Man. He always tries to stomach. I, uh, this is... I thought you were going to say, like, the Brambles law. I was like, oh, yeah, I got that. I know what that is. Oh, man. I can't even guess century. a name. So, 13th century. Like, you, like I guess King. numbers. I can just pick a number, but... What if I give you a part of the world? Asia. Oh. Is it like, um, no, when did, okay, I'm trying, I'm really bad with history. Is it, um, like, when did, like, menageries start? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is that, was that, that was in Europe, right? Um, I don't know. 13th century. 13th century, the 1200s. I don't know. Oh, man. Um, I don't even have a guess. You've like, definitely heard his name. You definitely know who this is. Gandhi? <laughs> I think um, you're a, is it, a couple hundred years old. <laughs> it's just the new purpose of the podcast. <laughs> is to embarrass me with history. Geography question. I mean, this is, I mean, you said Asia, and the first thought that comes to my head is like Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes! <laughs> I got it. Oh my gosh. Can we ask him to edit this out? (laughs) I can't believe it. Kat just pulled it out of thin air. Wow. It's Genghis Khan, one of the rulers in Mongolia. He enacted some animal protection laws during breeding season to protect their herds. So they were trying, but they were hunting these herds and they decided they would not hunt during breeding season to ensure that they had food year round and a stable food source. But. I just couldn't believe they were already enacting <laughs> well, protection also, laws in the 1200s. <laughs> that's embarrassing. I should know that, too. Like, you know, so. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, you. I mean, oh. Oh, man. oh, man. I really pulled that out. That, like, was, I that really, was great. I that mean, was that was a total guess, but I'm glad I got that right. I'm really so. proud of myself. Alright, question. That, that's, that was hard. Though. We're one for one here. We're collaborations. <laughs> collaborations important. Yes, we collaborations. Just heard. We're exactly. one for one here. Gosh, are these all, all right. the questions? Are they uh, all history? No. Okay. <laughs> so, someone who is, I feel like I'm demeaning them by putting one title to their name. Someone as amazing as Jane Goodall, but a renowned scientist, animal welfare activist, she conducted an extremely famous 60 year research study. In, on chimpanzees, in which country did this research take place? Country? Um, I have like three in my head, but I'm not sure if that's correct. Um, I'm sure I should know this. <laughs> <laughs> that's all my brain keeps saying. <laughs> um, so Jane Goodall conducted her 60 year chimpanzee study in which country? Was the Republic of Congo? I was about to say the DRC. You're right next to it. Why don't I know this? Again, so you're you're right next to it. Pointing out the two things I'm really bad at: (laughs) geography (laughs) and history. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. That's what I'm here for, guys. (laughs) Um, the what's um, I know (laughs) Uganda. No, 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 um. It's southeast of DRC. If that's this is testing my geography too. I think it's southeast of DRC. 
like 90% sure on that. <laughs> like, I can, now I can't even think of any other I can't countries. think of anything. Um, um, I, I was Shrimps. a... Not Uganda, not the Congo. It's... Oh my What's gosh. Do you want a hint? I'll say, do you want a hint? Yeah, Starts with a T. Tanzania? Tanzania. No. Tanzania, <laughs> yep. Tanzania why, at, why does that not make sense to me? I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Gombe Stream National Park. Wow. Yeah. Like, you discussed how a lot of these research studies take years, years. even decades. Yeah. yeah. In Jane Goodall's case, she conducted this study for 60 years yeah. on chimpanzee behavior, which is just incredible. It was in yeah. Tanzania? Yeah. That blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I need to I study African countries in Tanzania. more. <gasps> All right, Sorry, question number on. three. Yeah. <laughs> question number three. We're talking with our animal excellence scientist. What TV villain is famous for his quote, excellent? <laughs> um, I need you to do that again. Sorry. I'll do you my impression. You can't see this on the podcast, but excellent. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's from Austin Powers. Not Austin Powers. No. It's not yeah. from Austin Powers? I think in Austin Powers they say it in reference to this. Oh, okay. Is it? Can you give it like, um, like, uh, like a year, like a range of years? It's, year that it's a from? TV show that's still running. That's still running. Yeah. Yeah, I could be wrong. It's one of the longest running TV shows, though. I'm not a, a TV expert. It's not like Grey's Anatomy. ER. These questions are hard. Anim- it's animated. It's animated. Oh, um, um, no, that is incorrect. I also grew up in Canada, probably there was, all the cartoons I watched are probably not in the States. Um, not like I didn't Animaniacs or like, um, is, is he, uh, it's not like Dexter's Laboratory. That's the first thing I thought no, of. No, um, oh, I'm picturing like a, like a, like a, like a, like a small lab, like a lab person. Is that weird? I don't know. I'm no, sorry. I know what you're talking about, but like, I don't know what it is. And it's not Dexter's it Laboratory, because that's not it. You give up? I you give have up. any guesses? I give up. Because it's, I thought first thought of Austin Powers, too. See? It's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's from The Simpsons. Oh, my god. The gosh. Simpsons. Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. I almost guessed that just because the of the longest no. running thing, but I didn't think it went with that. Yeah. Interesting. Oh my god. So I'm pretty sure in Austin Powers when they say it, it's in reference to uh, Mr. Burns. Okay. Oh, I didn't okay. like those questions, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's on me. I gotta, I gotta get better for next week. I gotta get better. Oh, okay. okay. Well, okay. let's end okay. it on a better note. <laughs> my question for you is, what can I do? Yes. What can you do? Um, well, I... Uh, Let's see. A lot. <laughs> I mean, not just you. I think just all of us um, in general. Um, I think, uh, you know, with me, uh, you know, working in coastal Texas um, and and also talking to a lot of uh, guests that came through the aquarium, they, they also talked to me about how um, they didn't know the impact of single-use plastics until they 
came to a coastal area, mm. which is, is kind of sad, but also if that allows you to see the impact of, of, you know, a really large environmental change, then that's great. But I think what's really good is to understand that, you know, those small swaps that you can make uh, could make a really large impact. You know, small, like those actions, those really, it's a small action, but really. Mm -hmm. No, that's what I we're think, all about here. Yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. I think that's that, um, you know, even just, I'm sure a lot of us have seen the video of the sea turtle and the straw and its nose yeah. and it being pulled out. Just, you know, those things, you know, those animals eat things that look like plastic. So, mm -hmm. um you know, just small swaps, and they could be as easy as, you know, just just refusing straws when you go to the places. Um, really supporting the, the, the restaurants and the, and the companies that, that do use paper straws. Oh, yes. Like, I always you get know, so yeah. excited yeah. when I go to a restaurant with, like, a different... It's not always paper these days. Yeah. Sometimes it's, like... Pasta yes, or pasta. sugar, yeah. like some crazy thing. Yeah, I always or, love those restaurants. Yeah, like um, like uh, you know, a lot of uh, coffee places are replacing their stirs, their plastic stirs, oh. with pasta, and I think that's so great. And um, I mean, not to boast on Canada because I'm from Canada, but Canada did just issue. Um, a, a ban on five types of single-use plastic. I saw that yeah. in the news. Yeah, which amazing. is fantastic. Yeah. And one of them is straws. And I think, um, you know, uh, that's probably one of the, the things that I saw the most um, living in coastal Texas. And I think, um, I mean, there's other things. I mean, styrofoam and things like that, you know, um, swaps like bring your own tote bag or bring this. But I think the, the one of the main things that I'd like to say to people just really quickly is, um, say no to straws. Um, there's companies out there that sell reusable straws, like use that reusable straw in your reusable water bottle and, or bring it around. And there's a company called Final Straw that I love. And I have this, um, kind of a really portable kind of foldable straw that I just put on my keychain or I put it, stick it in my purse. And I just use that whenever I, I go anywhere and I just use that straw. And it's really cool because um, I'm pretty sure if it's not half or maybe a good percentage of their proceeds goes towards marine conservation. So, Very cool. Even so, better. Yeah. So even better to support that company or those companies that put their proceeds to a really great place. And then you're feeling good about, you know, just making that small choice. Um, um, I think... What's also great about the final straw, they come in cute colors, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, there's a little, um, even a little cleaner that's foldable, and you could clean your straw. Um, I love that it's foldable, and yeah. you can just, like, you don't have this giant metal yeah. straw, like, exactly. in your purse or your pocket if Definitely. you're a guy or something, but right. not carrying a purse around. Right, and I think that was, like, their biggest sell, is that um, people don't want to carry metal straws in their right. pockets, right? So it's a foldable one, um, and it comes in a really cute case, and um, I think... Uh, yeah, just stuff like that. I just start Stocking really... stuffer idea. Yes, Everyone get a yeah. final straw, folds <laughs> up, super fun. Seriously. And I think it's, sometimes it's hard. You're like, the restaurants already have these straws. You know, if you go, let's say you went through a fast food drive through and they just hand you a straw, like basically yeah. attached, you know, not really, but mm -hmm. like to your cup and you're like, ah, and you take it. But you imagine if enough people are refusing them, they'll realize over time, it might not be immediate, but they'll like... Well, no one wants these. We yeah. keep taking them back. Right. I guess what's the point in giving them out? Obviously, right. it should still be an option. Not everybody can have that. I mean, you could still drink your drink without a straw. Let's be real. Yeah. Many, <laughs> many like one-use plastics 
are just convenient, right? They're not yeah, something we actually need. We don't need a lid on everything. We don't, you know, that right. sort of thing. Don't get me wrong. We all use them and they're helpful in lots of right. different ways, but. Yeah, like, and, and <clears throat> just reducing your use of plastic. You know, the Plastic Free July is coming up, so that's a great mm-hmm. start. Um, you could just go to plasticfreejuly.org and then just uh, take their quiz to see what types of plastic you're using and then what can you swap out. Okay, cool. Um, I like that. Yeah, and I, I, I it's a kind of, it, they take it like a challenge uh, for the month, but, like, try to continue it throughout Definitely. the year yeah. and then try to continue yeah. it for another year. And I think that really helps to kind of jumpstart how much plastic we're actually using and and it's it's nice for me to remember how much of that goes into the ocean, but mm-hmm. I hope I hope that message gets played across too. Mm-hmm. Is that just sometimes those little things they will end up in the ocean? Yeah, even from so, here, you might notice not see it its final end, but something you drop here or floats into the river could end up in the ocean or yeah, yeah exactly on a beach or yeah. And then I mean, do you really need to? Use a plastic bag at the grocery store. Don't need to. They're yeah. actually way worse. Yeah. <laughs> Have you changed? They to always these, rip. And to these, yeah, reusable bags. You can put like yeah. so many groceries in one bag. It's yeah. less trips into your house, and they right. yeah they they carry way more and they don't rip. And, yeah. And then if um, just one last thing. Sorry, I know I'm adding more, but I just started using um, like compostable uh, like pet. Uh, like uh, poop bags, oh, basically. Yeah. yeah, so um, because that's probably where a lot of my plastic use came from is just picking up after my dog mm-hmm. um, and then realizing I could just make this really simple swap and um, use bags that are compostable. Yes. And that's just, that just makes a lot of sense to me. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Well, thanks so much for being with us and for your great ideas. And hopefully everybody will try for a plastic-free July or just a reduction of what you use. It's even a a big step. So Every step matters for sure. We're going to edit out the trivia part of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But but keep the part that I got that one right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess we can do that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Kat, for being here. Yeah, thank you, guys. This was great. For sure. Until next time. Thanks so much, Kat. Take care.